Well, amen. Amen. We have been walking through the book of James for about, I don't know, six months now with a couple little breaks in between. And we, we've arrived uh, last week at really the, the tail end section of James. And in James, he, he ends focusing on the same theme as he begins with, which is suffering. And what does it look like? How do we as believers walk in a way that is faithful, that is honoring to the Lord, that is spirit-filled, as we suffer. And as, and as we got to there last week, we walked through and he begins to say that at all times, if you're suffering, pray. If you're glad, cheerful, of, of happy heart, praise. If, if you're sick, if you're facing a situation where the odds are overwhelming, pray. Pray. The clear command and call is to pray. He, he, he lays out what Paul will state elsewhere as God's will for us in Christ Jesus is this, that we rejoice always and we pray without ceasing, that we as followers of Christ are called to a life marked by prayer. And James didn't just stop there, but he unpacked it a little bit for us and he said, well, when are we supposed to pray at all times? There's no circumstance, there's no time, there's no place where prayer is not right. Not only are we to pray at all times, when, but, but how are we to pray? Well, he gives two qualifiers. We're to pray. It says the prayer of a righteous man causes much. Well, one, he tied in that the way we walk, the way we live out our faith in Christ, the level to which we are either walking in sin or walking in the Spirit, it's going to dictate to a certain level, the effectiveness of how we pray. But not just that, but he tells us that, that, that the, the, the prayer that moves is the prayer of faith. That prayer, which we pray in absolute confidence and dependence on who God is as he reveals himself in his word. That we're not just praying in wishful thinking. We're not just praying to the big guy up in the sky, hoping something gets there. We are praying in confidence to one whom we know in Christ through salvation and at his word. And he tells us why we should pray. God calls us to pray. Prayer is vital to walk with the Lord. Prayer is powerful. And so we, we look at ourselves as individuals and as a church and say we've got to be a people of prayer. But if we're going to be a people of prayer, you, you ought to also know, well, what are we supposed to pray? Just get real basic with it. We know when we're supposed to pray always. We know why we're supposed to pray. God calls us to. Prayer is powerful. But what are we supposed to pray? When I, when I come and I get before the Lord, what am I supposed to talk to God about? Well, the great news is Jesus knew we'd ask that and he answered that question. So if you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 5, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. You can find the, the page number for the Pew Bible on the screen in front of you if you, need, uh, if you have need of the Pew Bible, which we'd love for you to take if you don't have a Bible. Listen what, listen what Jesus says. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, and here's what he says. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I tell you, they, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, 
and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So right off the bat, Jesus in this section in the Sermon on the Mount, if you go back to chapter six, verse one, is talking about how we live out righteousness and not doing it for the glory and applause of others. And so he says here, when you pray, before he even answers the question about what we're to pray, he's gonna give us two ways not to pray. And he says the first way not to pray is this, don't be like the hypocrites who when they pray, they make sure to pray in such a way as to gain the attention and the applause of everybody who's watching and hearing. They make sure to position their body in a way that would be noticed, wow, look at how, look at how godly that person praying is. They make sure to when it comes to what's actually coming out of their mouth to pray things that will, will get the most amens. Oh, wow, did you hear that person? Oh, he's such a beautiful prayer. He said, these people, they are praying for the glory and applause of others. And he says, and they've got their reward. If they want the, if they want the glory of others, they've got it. Don't be like them. Instead, when you pray, you need to understand this. When you pray, and he speaks about going to the inner room, he speaks about going into uh, going into a place in your home where there's no windows, where no one can see in, where you can't see out, getting in a place of absolute privacy. And he makes this statement because our fa- your father who is in secret. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, we know that God in his basic nature is, is invisible. We know that God, but what does God value? What does God say in the Old Testament? God looks not on the outward but at the heart. God looks at the heart. He says, you go get in a place where it's you and the Lord and where your prayer, what you're praying, is not driven by the applause of men, but by true and intimate communion with your Father. Now, why does he say this? His church family, here is the very real and very great danger It is possible for you and I, if you've been saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ Jesus, it is possible as a born-again, regenerate believer, a child of God adopted in the blood of Christ, it is possible to drag our own pride into the most intimate and holy of communions with our God and to take that which is so holy, prayer, and make it all about me. That's why the command's there, because there is a real danger that as I seek to be a person of prayer, that I can be driven to pray by the glory and the exaltation that I can get from being a person of prayer. And you can do this, you can do this in in ways certainly that are obvious to imagine. Have you ever heard the person who gets up, hey, would would you pray for us? And they proceed not to pray so much to God, but to pray a sermon to you? If you haven't ever, just come with me to a pastor's conference. (laughs) We can do it when we focus on the praise of others. We can do it when we focus it on ourselves. When all of a sudden our drive and our aim in prayer is not the glory and honor of the Lord, but is, is how I feel from it. Do I feel good about myself? Do I feel the way I ought to? And here's the reality. We can pray driven for the glory of others. We can play driven for our own pleasure 
whether or not we are praying in front of people or not. Because Jesus' concern here is not to forbid public prayer. If so, then we're in sin every week when we open the service in prayer and if we pray as a congregation. That's not what Jesus is forbidding. He, what, he is, what he is calling out is prayer that is driven for the attention of others. And you can certainly do that when you're praying aloud in front of people. You can also do that when you make it real known that you spend an hour every day in the closet praying and oh man, wow, that person, that person's a real prayer. It says go into the closet, church family. If we're gonna go into the closet and pray, then it means when we, get, when we pray, whether it's in front of people, whether we are alone, we are praying solely for the glory and honor and love of our God and Father. Period. We shut what others think out. We shut what we think and fill out, and we focus on God and God alone. We don't pray for the applause of others, but we pray out of love for the Lord and unto His glory. Here's what also he says. He says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now here's what he says. He says, if you're not to play for, don't, don't pray in a way so as to, to gain the glory of others. He says, also, don't pray like the Gentiles. Now what does he mean by the Gentiles? Well, he means by those certainly who were not ethnically Jews, but the distinction he's trying to draw there is less on Jew and Gentile and more on people who pray who do not know and understand the character of God. They have all these false gods and their prayers are driven by their thoughts of how they can try to gain the attention of the divine and then through their words, get the divine to do what they want. He says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't heap up many useless words. It's an interesting term he uses. Don't chatter. Don't babble. Don't utter many and especially useless and purposeless words. And it can refer to, to speech that's intelligible, meaning, uh, meaning when you just continue to heap up something over and over and over again. Or you might think of uh, in other faith traditions, praying beads and saying the same thing over and over, not in, not in a structured repetition like some of our psalms, but in almost a faithlessness that, oh, Father, hear me, oh, Father, hear me, oh, Father, hear me, oh, Father, hear me, oh, Father, hear me. Uh, okay, I, if we take what's true in the Word, that you as a child of God are on God's mind so much that you come through his mind if you, more than the grains of sand on the earth, which if you carry that math out, means you're on God's mind like two billion times every millisecond. That God is a good father who hears the cries of his people. You don't have to use a bunch of words and phrases to try to gain his attention. His eye is on the sparrow, how much more you? because Jesus didn't shed his blood for the sparrows. We don't have to heap up endless and strange phrases trying to get, trying to get God's attention. And when we do that, ultimately it reveals a faithlessness. And by the way, I, catch, I can do this. I catch myself doing this. 
There I am in prayer. I'm focused on something. I'm pouring my heart out before the Lord. And all of a sudden, I just, I keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. And I'm not repeating it because I just, man, the spirit is really impressing. I need to go back and keep praying for that issue. No, I'm repeating it because emotionally I feel like, well, maybe God didn't hear me the first time. That's faithlessness. God sees, God cares, God is concerned. That's the emphasis. Don't be like the Gentiles who don't know the character of God. Don't heap up certain phrases. No, pray simplistically. Pray sincerely. And this ought to encourage some. God's not impressed by how long your prayer is. God's not impressed by our trying to get his attention. Or the other aspect of that is this. I'm not just trying to get his attention, but I I have, there's this idea that if I just pray long enough, if I just pray eloquently enough, if I just pray for the right period of time, then God is going to do what I ask. That's the other aspect of heaping up many words. It's not just an expression of faithlessness, but it can also be an expression of essentially divine manipulation. Church family, we don't pray to manipulate God to bend his will to ours. We're going to see in a moment, we pray, no, to bend our will to his. So we don't pray for the glory of people. We don't pray in a faithless repetition. We don't pray in a way that tries to use words to manipulate God to do what we want. No, instead, here's what he says. Pray then in this way. He says, pray imperative, pray. Here's the command, pray. And by the way, it's a plural command, meaning the call to prayer here and what we're going to see about what we're supposed to pray is not just what I'm supposed to pray as an individual Christian. It's not just what you're supposed to pray as an individual Christian. This is how we are to pray as brothers and sisters in Christ who form a local family of God known as First Baptist Church Pflugerville. That's what the plural means means this is how we are to pray. It's how we're to pray in our time alone with the Lord. It's how we're to pray when we're together praying corporately. It's, it's how we're to pray when we're praying for one another. It's how we're to pray as we pray for our world. He says, pray in this way. Now, when he says in this way, he's not saying, repeat these words every time you pray. That would kind of take us back to the prohibition right prior, where maybe Here's this written out prayer. Just repeat this every time. Every time you have a need for, every time you have a need for fill in the blank, just pray this prayer on repeat. That's not how God teaches us to pray. What he means by in this way is Jesus is going to teach us. Here, here is a basic framework. Here are the ideas in the order in which you need to be praying. It's not an exhaustive list of every way we can pray or everything we can pray about but it is designed to be a structure to teach us how we are to approach God in prayer. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Let's ask a really basic question that we haven't asked yet. We know we're supposed to pray. We know prayer is powerful. We know God expects us to pray. We know we're to pray at all times. We're supposed to be looking at what we're supposed to pray, but let's just be clear about who we pray to. First thing he says is when you pray, pray, Father. Father. This would have been a radical departure for the people of Jesus' day to hear someone refer to God as Father. 
a relational term, a personal term. Implied in father is that the one praying father is a son or daughter, which is only possible, church family, if you are in fact in Christ, having been saved by grace through faith. You're not born a son or daughter of God. You and I are born by nature children of wrath, rebellion against God. But thanks be that God in His great mercy, because of the great love with which He loves us, sent His one and only unique Son to pay our price to become our sin on the cross, that all who believe in Jesus Christ, faith, would be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, grace. That's happened in your life. You're adopted, it says, as a son or daughter of God, and, and you don't just pray to God. You don't just pray to Lord. You pray the one who is God, the one who is Lord, the one who is king has chosen to adopt you as child. You pray, Father, it speaks of a warmth, of an intimacy. And so when we pray, say, what are we supposed to pray, Pastor? One, when, when we pray, when you sit down to pray, you make sure you pray confident that the one you're praying to is your Father who loves you, who cares for you, who has seated you at His heavenly table and given you the right to have full fellowship with Him. And this is huge, by the way, in my life, church family. If prayer is vital for a healthy relationship with God, then your prayer life being marked by confidence praying to God who is Father and who reveals Himself as Father is the God who loves for God so loved, it's vital that you really understand what it means to pray to Him as Father. There was a period in my life where I watched, uh, in college, where I watched going to a, a Christian university, you, you got chapel several times a week, and we'd sing these songs about God and His love and His glory and all of this, and eyes closed and hands up, and then, and then you'd, you'd go back to the dorm, and, and the same crowd that had their eyes closed and their hands up is the same crowd using language and sharing jokes and engaging in sin without any second thought. And one of my reactions to that was not to just go, well, that's wrong, and they're in sin. It was to go, there's, there's, I began to distance myself from, from really understanding God, God really does love me. Just, just because we can be hypocritical and praising God for His love and we can seek to manipulate and abuse the love of God in our life, it doesn't mean that God doesn't actually love us. And I realized for several years I never prayed to God as Father. I only ever prayed Lord. And there was a big moment of, of coming back and realizing I, I have, without realizing it, forgotten. Yes, He is Lord. We're about to see that in a big way. But He's adopted me by the blood of Christ as His Son, and He has given me the right to call Him Abba, Papa, Father, which is a right that of all the, all, all the beings that are created in all of creation, only I as His child am given that right. So it's important we pray, 
our Father, not just our Father, but our Father who is in heaven. If, if Father speaks to his love, to intimacy, to personalness, our Father who is in heaven reminds us that, our, that the one who is our Father is also the one who is God, that he is higher than us, that he is beyond us, that he is greater than us, that he is the one who is holy, holy, holy. He is Abba, but he is not Yodadio. So it means as we pray, we pray in confidence in Christ to God as Father. It also means as we pray, we've got to recognize the majesty and the glory and the greatness of the one we pray to. Ecclesiastes 5 says it in this way, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulse and thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And the idea is not when you approach God to be absolutely panic-stricken, what if you say the wrong word? Or vice versa, well, if I, if I started my prayer praying to Jesus, will God still hear? Yes, yes, why? Because Jesus is God. What it is to say is when we come to pray, we should reckon with the reality that when I pray, whether it is driving in my car to work, whether it is in my time alone with the Lord, whether it is me praying with somebody in the hospital, whether it is me praying with a coworker, when I am praying, I am not just praying to anybody. I'm not just picking up the phone and crank calling a friend. I am praying to the one who sits enthroned most high. So there is a gravity. There is a humility that when I focus my mind and begin to realize who it is I'm praying to, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who in the shed blood of Christ I am able to now call Father, it should produce a humility Amen. when I approach Him. And that's what Ecclesiastes speaks to. That humility is going to reflect itself now in what we're to pray. Look what He says. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Literally, may, may your name be recognized for the glory and the greatness that it actually is. It carries the idea when you pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying, God, we, not that your name needs to be recognized as holy because it's, it's not holy until it's recognized. That's not, it's, God's name is Holy. The prayer is that people would recognize in our hearts and would respond and ascribe the glory and worthiness to God that he is in and of himself. It's not just a prayer where we're crying out that people would recognize and respond to the glory and greatness of God. It is also a statement of worship on our behalf. When we pray, Father, hallowed be your name, we are, we are worshiping, we are ascribing glory and honor. We are recognizing all of the greatness and wonder of who God is because when we say, hallowed be your name, we're not just saying, wow, Jesus, your name just really rolls off the tongue. It's such a pretty name. No, the name, the idea of your name in Scripture is someone's very character, the essence of who they are, the full glory of their whole person, not just what their name is written on, written on a driver's license. 
When it says, hallowed be your name, we're saying, Lord, who you are, your character, you are worthy, you are glorious. We are starting as we get on our knees in prayer in adoration at the greatness and wonder and glory and majesty of who God is. That like the angels in heaven around the throne room, holy, holy, holy are you. Lord God, my Father. Hallowed be your name. What do we pray? We pray worship. We pray for God's character to be known and honored in truth. We take what we read in Scripture, what it tells us about God, and we meditate on that truth, and we praise Him for that. It's what we're to pray. Say, well, how do I know if I'm doing it? Let me just ask you a question. When you examine your present prayer life, how much time in your prayer life do you spend personally reflecting on and declaring to God in prayer His worthiness, praising Him for who He is. And not only that, how often? Do you notice the order? We've come to God, our Father who art in heaven, and the order that we're starting our prayer in is not about us, it's all about Him. How often in your prayer life, at the beginning of the time that you kneel there in prayer, how often does your time in prayer start with Worship and adoration for who he is. It says your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom coming means, means God, we want to see your reign. You're the king of your kingdom. We want to see your reign, the fact that you are king. We want to see your reign recognized and honored in this world, just as it is in heaven with all the angels. We want to see people respond you know what this translates out to practically? We are praying for the lost to recognize you as king. We are praying for revival in the church because you are Lord. And we are praying for your kingdom, meaning your ways, your standards, not our ways and our standards. We want to see your true reign honored, recognized. Not just that, but your will be done. Your will be done. And all three of these go together. If we are worshiping God for who He is, well, of course, we want to see the world respond to know Him for who He is and honor His rule. And if we want to see a world know Him for who He is and honor His rule, then the only way that we're going to get there is if it is His will which is done. All three of these requests reveal things. They reveal the focus of our worship. Is it on us or Him? They reveal the sincerity of our loyalty. Is our loyalty to His kingdom or ours? They reveal that the truth behind our desires is the only reason that I pray to get what I want. Or is what I want transformed in my time of prayer to be submitted to and then, and then to be superseded by God? What is your will? And just practically, when we pray, how do you pray the will of God? Well, the great news is, church family, the overwhelming majority of the will of God, God tells us in Scripture. Did you know it is always God's will for you to pray for His wisdom? There's never a time it's not God's will for you to pray and ask for wisdom. Did you know it's God's will to see lost people come to faith in Christ? There's never a time it's wrong. Oh, Lord, would it be your will for me to pray for so-and-so to come to know you? That's a, that's, a, that's a dumb prayer. 
We say there's no dumb questions. Well, there, that's at least a dumb prayer. Yes, pray that it's God's will. It doesn't mean that that person will respond because God, God's not gonna force someone into salvation. But goodness knows we've gotta be praying. It's God's will. It's God's will to pray for justice in the world. For, it's God's will, by the way, it's God's will to pray for our rulers. So that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. There is so much in Scripture. When you say, Wes, how do I know to pray His will? Just go read Scripture and wherever it says this is God's will. Rejoice. Give thanksgiving. It's God's will for you to give thanksgiving. It's God's will. So praying His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, thank, give thanks to God for the things He's given. Now you say, well, how do I pray for that part of God's will that obviously there's no verse in the Bible, trust me, I mind the scriptures, there's no verse in the Bible that when I was figuring out if I should marry Bethany or not that said, Wes, marry Bethany. <laughs> when we were praying about whether or not God was leading us to come here in view of a call, there's no, no verse in the Bible that says, Wes, God wants you to go to First Baptist Church Pflugerville. What do you do with those specific things that are in scripture? Well, the great news is Jesus sets the pattern for this. What's your request? What's on your heart? Listen, the reality is God knows we don't know every one of His plans for our life and the life of others. God expects, you know, you know what a child who trusts the love and goodness of their parent does? They come and ask. They come and ask. Jesse, every night, pow. Pow means pouch, fruit pouch. Why does she ask us? Part of, well, there's multiple factors. One, because we're the ones who are tall enough to get it off the shelf. We have an ability she doesn't have. And as we've sought to be good and faithful, loving parents in the way that we see Scripture teach us to be, she knows that we love her and care for her. It's why when she's running around here, she doesn't come to you and ask you for a pouch because she doesn't know you. What does a child do who knows that, our, that God is able? What does a child do that know God is concerned and cares? A child comes and takes the request of their heart and lays it before their father. God. And, and, they, and they do it unashamedly so with confidence. God, here's this person I'm dating. I, I would really love to marry them. So I'm asking for you to make it clear and then here's how you pray God's will. In surrender in truth, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's how you pray those things, which means if you're a parent and you're praying for your children, your prayer for the lives of your children should not be your dreams or what American culture says is good for your children. Your prayer for your children should be, God, may your will be done. May what you wired and knit and purposed this child, the child you've entrusted to me to be in this world, may that be what is accomplished in and through their life. It means the same thing if you're praying for your spouse or for your friend. It means the same thing, and this is the reality. Is God able, when we pray for healing to, for someone, this goes back to last week, is God able to heal? Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. 
Is it always God's will to heal? No. And so we've got to be bold and confident in bringing our requests for healing to the Lord, and then we have to be surrendered and submitted to whether He he chooses to heal or not. And if He chooses to heal, then we further got to be surrendered to how He would choose to do it. Maybe supernaturally, maybe through medical personnel, maybe healing in part, but not in… We have to pray the will of God. Church family, all of this ultimately comes down to and speaks of our prayer life being driven by the glory of God, by by the will of God. It means His agenda drives our prayer life, not our agenda. And in saying that, it gives us total freedom to come. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, do what? Let your requests be made known to God. Let your request be made known, but be driven in our life of prayer, not by our will and agenda and our wish list, but by His will and agenda. And perhaps for some of us, the reason we don't like to pray very much is because it's really hard to give up our agenda. So Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but then He gets to so if that's adoration, he gets to petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's simply what he says, that part of the way we pray. What are we to pray about? We are to pray about the most basic of our needs. There is no need in your life that you are not to pray about. And you're to pray for your needs in complete and total dependence upon God to meet your needs. Now, this is tough for us in one sense. One... Most of us don't have a daily need for where's the bread on the table coming from. We may be worried about how much more bread is this time this year than last year. And so when we think through needs, sometimes needs become not our needs but our just wants. Listen, you can bring your wants to God. You can bring your wants to God, but you got to submit them to His will. Here we're talking about our daily needs. And quite literally, he meet, people have debated, is this something future? Is this metaphorical? No, it's very literal. God, it is a statement of humility recognizing that, Lord, every ounce of provision I have in my life, you say comes from you. Yes, I may get a paycheck from the employer. That paycheck may go in the bank. That currency may purchase that food that I had to go to the grocery store or I had to put in the app and someone else went through the grocery store for me. But the only reason any of that took place is because you are upholding all of creation and you have provided through those means for me. We are to bring every need we have to God and to pray in complete and total humble dependence upon God. We're to pray for wisdom. We're to pray for the knowing of His grace, we're to pray for our needs in life, the needs of others. There's a man by the name of George Mueller who ran orphanages in England, and some will be familiar, some won't, but, but George Mueller was so convicted that God said He would supply every need for His child that he, he, he felt convicted by the Spirit that He was to never ask for help. 
So in his whole ministry, he never asked anyone for anything he needed. Rather, everything he needed, he took to God and expected God to provide it somehow, some way. Again, he was personally convicted this is how he should walk. He wouldn't say that this is, what he would say is we all need to take our needs to God. He wasn't condemning, asking, but he felt this was how the Lord. And so here's one of the day he woke up, one of the orphanages he ran. They had no milk. They had no food. But he gathered the kids together around the breakfast table, and they prayed, Lord, you know what we need. You know that we need uh, what we need, so we're asking you to provide, and we're going to thank you that you're going to take care of us. A few minutes later, knock on the door. It was the milkman. He said, hey, I was taking out milk to the neighbors, but they actually haven't used all their milk, so all of this milk's going to go bad, and they don't need it. Do you need it? Well, yes, we do. Thank you. A few minutes later, knock on the door. It's a baker. Hey, Lord laid on our heart, we, we, we baked all this extra food, thought you might could use it, here it is. Now here's why I give you this example. It's not to say that you can't ever ask anybody for help. That's not the point. The point is there is no need so basic in our life that we are too good to be able to ask God and say, God, I am depending upon you. Here is the need, please provide. What are we supposed to pray? What else are we supposed to pray? And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, what does he mean by forgive? At the moment of salvation, pastor, I thought I was forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. Yes, but this is speaking not of the once for all forgiveness washed in the blood of Christ Jesus. This is speaking of the present experience of that forgiveness. This is speaking of when I, as a believer, stumble, trip, fall into sin, and that That sin takes me out of fellowship with God, not out of relationship. I'm still seated at the table, but I'm no longer looking in full in his wondrous face. Instead, I'm distracted and playing with whatever's running around on the floor, tempting and enticing me. If I do that, there's going to be a conviction of sin. I am to, according to 1 John, confess my sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive me. He is faithful and just to restore me to fellowship. So this is what we're talking about. This is confession. How are we supposed to pray? We are to confess our sin to God. If we don't confess our sin to God, if we walk in our own sin, if we try to do it on our own, if we make our own, it will inhibit and damper our prayer life. God tells husbands, husbands, if you don't live with your wives in an understanding manner, I will choose not to listen to your prayer. 1 Peter 3.9. So my sin as a husband can, can inhibit my prayer life and the effectiveness of how I pray. Right, vice versa here, he says, we pray, we confess our sin, we ask God to, 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 to restore fellowship, to forgive us in the sense of, hey, we've gotten distracted, we're turning back to you, we're acknowledging it, we're asking you to forgive us, but he puts a condition. He prays, Lord, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Why? Well, look what he says a couple verses later with me. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, time doesn't permit for us to unpack all of that. What he's not saying is that the forgiveness of God for your sin in Christ Jesus is conditional. What he is saying is that for those of us who are forgiven in Christ Jesus... For us to experience the renewal of his forgiveness when we have slipped into sin will be prohibited if we who have experienced the forgiveness of God refuse to show the forgiveness of God to those who've wronged us. 
And you can go check out Matthew 18 in your own time in the Lord this week, the parable of the unforgiving servant, but that's the, 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 that's the, the parable right there. The servant, the servant has this massive debt, a lifetime of work could never clear. The one he owes forgives him. He goes out and the guy who owes him five nickels beats the tarp out of him because he doesn't have it to pay. And, and sometimes that's how we as believers do. We understand we've been forgiven by Christ and it's incredible, but when someone wrongs us, you better believe we're going to make sure to hold a grudge for as long as we can. And what this simply tells us, church family, is one, what, what are we to pray? We're to confess our sin. And that if we really want to experience and know restoration to fellowship with God from that confession, we better make sure that we are faithfully demonstrating the same forgiveness that God has shown us to others. Otherwise, our bitterness our grudge holding, our unforgiveness can destroy our prayer life. Keep that in mind for a second as we finish. Look what else he says. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now we know from James, when he says lead us not into temptation, God does not tempt us with sin. What he's saying is more this, Lord, do not let us succumb to the temptation we are facing but deliver us from evil. If the previous prayer, forgive us, is a prayer of confession, this is a prayer of, Lord, help. This is an acknowledgement that, that I am weak, but you are strong. I am frail and I face temptation that could easily pull me down, but I am turning to you, why? Because it says in 1 Corinthians that you are faithful. You won't allow me to be tempted beyond what, what you are confident of yourself in me, says, you won't allow me to be tempted beyond what, what we are able, and that you will provide a way out in Christ Jesus that we will be able to endure it. This is a prayer of saying, Lord, it's acknowledging it's a prayer of spiritual battle. What are we to pray about? As you face temptation, as you face trial, as you face temptation to sin, you are not to, to stow it all in yourself and try to figure out how to fight it. You are to pray about it, to ask for his strength to know his grace, and you're not just to pray about it privately, but remember, this is a corporate prayer. You're to allow other people to be praying with you and for you and over you. Lord, don't let us succumb to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We are to pray for strength. What are we to pray, church family? We're, we're to pray for his glory, for his agenda, for his kingdom, for his will. We're to pray about our needs, independence looking to him to satisfy. We're to pray confessing our sin. We're to pray for the spiritual strength to withstand and resist all temptation. And we're to pray to the one who is in heaven, who is enthroned on high, who is almighty and has all powerful, and who, if you are in Christ, knows you by name and calls you son or daughter. This is what we're to pray. There's a lot of ways you can apply and go and see different needs in your life and how it's going to impact. But church family, understand. I mentioned at the beginning of the this, this service, there's a lot of talk going on because of what's happening on some college campuses about revival right now. It's even in the mainstream media. There is no revival. There is no revival in churches and awakening in society that that ever comes apart from prayer. The prayer of the righteous man availeth much. God was really clear 
if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray, will turn from their wicked ways. Could it be, church family, that some of the reason we cry out for revival and it seems our prayers are powerless, could it be because we're not praying what He taught us to pray? Could it be our prayer for revival is really just, Lord, give me a really comfortable life, unimpinged by the government? Could it be our, 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 prayer, our prayer for revival is tainted by the fact that we refuse to forgive anybody who's wronged us, or we refuse to go ask for forgiveness for those we know and are convicted we've wronged? Could it be we can go on down the line, church family? But we have no excuse to be a prayerless people who say, I don't know what to pray. Jesus teaches us, pray then in this way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you are doing. Jesus, thank you that you taught us how to pray. It's clear in your word that prayer is not something that just comes natural for us. And I'm undoubtedly, there are some in our family, and there's even some of us who, who have long been people of prayer, who at times just, we don't know, we don't feel like we know what to pray, or we get discouraged in prayer, or and in, in so, and in those moments, we can pull back from praying, but Lord, you're clear on what we're to pray. And so, Father, may we be found a faithful people to pray how you taught us to pray. to pray how you taught us to pray, confident in faith, in confident assurance of who you are because of what you tell us in your word. Father, may we be a people whose prayers rend the heavens and shake the earth. Not so we can pat ourselves on the back and have glory that we, wow, look at us, we're the prayer warriors. No, Lord. But because we recognize we are in desperate need of you. And our world is in desperate need to know you. So Holy Spirit, you move now as you desire. May we respond with open hands and ready hearts. It's in your name we pray.